I'm Jesse Lubinsky, host of the Partial Credit Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another wonderful Saturday. Thank you so much for making My EdTech Life part of your Saturday morning, wherever it is you are in the world. Thank you, thank you, as always, from the bottom of my heart for all of your support, and thank you so much for all of your feedback and all your just nice comments. And again, we do this because we believe in what we're doing, and we want to connect you with wonderful educators, wonderful creators, and we want you to hear their stories, their passions, and just the way they've been able to improvise, adapt, and overcome within their roles to help you and to help inspire you even more. And today I'm really excited because we have the second half of a power couple that is out there, and I consider the Tranquinas a power couple there in the ed tech world. And today I have the honor and the privilege to uh, have Derek Tranquina here on the show. So I'm really excited about today's topic. We're going to be talking about innovation and leadership. And of course, you know, we'll be talking a little bit about everything else that Derek is working on. So Derek, how are you today? Fonz, I'm doing fantastic, man. How about yourself? Oh, I'm doing wonderful. Like I said, this has been a, a chat that we've been trying to set up for maybe close to about a month and a half, close to two months or so. And I know that you have been very busy, but I am so thankful and grateful that you've been able to be on this show today to have this awesome conversation. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Excellent. Well, Derek, let's go ahead and get started. Let's jump right in. And for our audience members that are watching, maybe are, are, or will be watching later or listening later, who are not familiar with your work yet, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your context in education. And if you can, can you add one little interesting thing about you that people may not know? Gladly. So I've been in a uh education for about 15 years. I started as a middle school math teacher. Um, teaching is one of those jobs that kind of finds you. You know, under my undergrad experience, I, I studied criminology, believe it or not, and then ended up substitute teaching just for cash. And I remember like the moment it clicked for me, started helping some students with some math work. And I was like, maybe I should do this. And next thing you know, um, I think in my eighth year, I started my master's in math ed. And then from there, um, pivoted into ed tech. I kind of just got on the, the Google train when I was working, you know, I tried to be an innovative math teacher. I actually, um, before schools were really all one-to-one, -one, I put out like a, a request on a, a fundraiser, like a GoFundMe for some, um, some devices for my students and the Bill and Melinda Gates foundation funded it completely, which was pretty cool. And so I kind of was like an innovator in the beginning and was very fortunate to have like a su supportive staff and admin and students. So that's kind of how I pivoted into ed tech. Uh, 
became an ed tech specialist, been in that role for about three and a half years now. Um, I also teach at Monmouth University. I got my uh, doctorate there and had leadership recently. Amazing experience with those folks and learned so much. So those two things kind of led me into consulting too. We do a little bit of uh, ed tech consulting, as you know. Um, as you mentioned, Sue and I, you know, our dinner table conversations are different than most couples, most likely. Uh, but we stay busy, just like most, most teachers. We have extra jobs. And um, actually, last year, during the COVID year, because of a teacher shortage, um, I was asked to go back into the classroom and teach high school math, which is something I never taught. We just needed certified staff. So I didn't know I had a choice. I said yes. Um, of course I said yes. I saw it as an opportunity to, to model a good response to a problem, right? We, we want to teach kids, obviously, the content, but here, here's, you know, I'm presented with a situation. How am I going to take on this challenge? And so in, in life, it's all about attitude. And when you're, when you're dealt a, a tough hand, how, how do you handle it? So I was like, oh, this is, I'm going to take this. I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to run with it. I dove into it head first. I rolled up my sleeves, the, the most exhausting experience in my life. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, plan, you know, planning new, basically a first year teacher, more or less, you know, I, I had the experience, but I didn't have the, the resources and the materials. So I felt like a first year teacher in the pandemic year. So do I regret it? No, but um, man, it was hard. So I know where teachers are coming from right now, trying to get back into the swing of things. And in hindsight, it really, it's, it's served me well. It's made me better. And I think it will continue to as I learn and grow in this profession. So now back in the ed tech role at a, at a middle grade school and just trying to make sure, uh, you know, we're using devices properly and and making sure our instruction is sound and trying to help and provide support wherever I can. That's kind of how it goes, right? You know, the, you know, the deal, you do the same thing. Yeah, no, no. And that's wonderful. And like I said, you know, you and I, like we pretty much live that, that same life where we're just trying to, you know, share best practices, trying to help equip teachers and more than anything, the students also as well. And, And my thing has always been like, just help teachers, to help students be creators, you know, but I also want to help teachers know that they too can be creative. You know, oftentimes I know they get bogged down with everything they have to do. Obviously, you know, there's standards that they have to teach. There's certain, you know, uh, periods or, or points where they have to, you know, be at this point at this time covering this lesson and so on. So I know it could be very difficult, but I know that the return on investment would be something great, you know, just giving creative or our teachers that creative perspective, that little, that creative approach that they can share with students. And I think, like I said, it, it engages the students, uh, you know, and, and gets them excited. But, um, you know, hearing about what you did, you know, going back into the classroom and doing math, you know, I think that that is something that is, it was rough, I can imagine. Like you said, you first year, it's almost like a first year teacher, like you described, going into a different grade level and just having to figure things out there. And so I know that that was very difficult. So now, with your ed tech background, and like you said, and then coming back into the classroom, even though you, with that experience, 
what were some of the obstacles that you saw and that you thought, you know, this is something that we really need to work on and make sure that if we need to flip the switch again, we need to make sure we're prepared for this, you know, specifically any kind of thing pop out there for you. Yeah, you, you said it, um, you know, it reminded me of the struggle because it's almost like a devil and angel on one, on both of your shoulders, right on the, on the angel side, you have your project-based learning, your, all your technologies, um, all the, all the fun things you want to do in your classroom, creative projects, um, guest speakers, you have all these wonderful ideas, right? And on the other side, it's your, your SGO and your evaluation, your curriculum, your pacing guide, your assessments, your data, and you're constantly being pulled in these two directions. And I try to tell teachers it's normal to feel that stress. The, the best approach is probably a blend, but it's, it's definitely possible to do both. And if, if not, it's our, it's our responsibility to at least try. <laughs> um, is it easy? Of course not. It's the hardest job in the world, teaching. Um, so I found myself, I found that myself back in the middle of that turmoil. You know, I have all these things, wonderful things I want to do. I want to use these innovative technologies, but man, I'm way behind the other teachers. <laughs> I got to get caught up. <laughs> so I, you know, just, just dealing with that conflict and trying to find that balance. Um, it was a good experience. It was, it was a challenge, but a, but a good experience. Yeah. And I, and I hear you like, especially finding that balance, you know, and, and like you said, data, you have to meet certain things, uh, be at a certain point. And, you know, even myself being in the classroom, you know, just removed from the classroom about six years. But I mean, I just loved my experiences in the classroom more so when I moved to elementary and being able to do some of those things and be innovative and bring out those ideas. And um, the what was interesting, though, is like sometimes, yeah, the, I would see the teachers would be a little bit further ahead. Well, maybe a lot further ahead than me. But, you know, and like best advice that I ever got is just like, well, try and see what you can bundle together and put it together. And then that way it's like, you're already building up to those things. So I know that those are some of the things that, that helped me, but again, not being in the classroom this year or for the, the and especially during pandemic year, you know, right now I know teachers are just kind of slowly coming back and they're finding, you know, their footing and, uh, you know, just getting back to their comfort zone, that level of confidence and, you know, trying to engage teach or engage students. So, you know, big, big props to them for everything that's going on. And yourself and myself are just here as support for them. And, you know, that's, that's what we do. We just bring the tools, see what can help their workflow. But Derek, let's talk a little bit about just because I, I know we kind of got a little bit more into that conversation, but I always like to know, you know, and especially for all our audience members and, and anybody that's watching and listening, you know, just that moment when, it clicked for you that you said, you know what, I, I want to be uh, in education. I know you talked a little bit about the subbing, but was there ever a moment, you know, maybe when you were younger coming up through high school, maybe college, or was it one of those like, hey, I just fell into teaching, but then I fell in love with a profession. Can you tell us a little bit of, about that? Yeah, I just remember like uh, both my parents are educators and okay. Uh, kind of a young knucklehead kid. I was like, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to go into sales or you know, I'm going to make some money. I'm going to, you know, like, so yeah. you know, at one point after college, I found myself 
in a job interview in like a New York City high rise insurance company for like 150k a year and I'm on the train ride home and I was just like physically exhausted. I was like, man, this isn't something wasn't right and they offered me a position and I I declined it and I realized the people that interviewed me weren't people I wanted to be like. I wanted to be like my parents, you know. <laughs> so, but also at the kind of at the same time when I was subbing, you know, I was a 22-year-old kid. I was sitting there with my feet up reading magazines, you know, this is before smartphones, and I saw the the students struggling and like I guess teachers have that in, innate kind of responsibility to want to help people. So that's what I did. I got up out of, off my butt. And I was like, I'm going to do a little more than a traditional sub. I knew it. I, there was a problem they were struggling with. I took some time and I uh, explained it to them the best I could. And the instructional assist, assistant in the room said to me, wow, you're going to be a great teacher. That was really good. And I was like, no, nah, I don't really want to be a teacher. And then and I went home. I was like, well, maybe I do. I don't know. Because <laughs> it did feel really good. It was one of those moments where, you know, if you ever heard about flow and uh, getting yourself in a in a state of flow where you don't realize you're you're doing something and your creative juices are take take over and you, you're immersed in what you're doing and the act in itself is kind of the reward. That's what teaching felt like for me at that moment. So yeah. it was natural. That is great. But I love the way you described yourself. It's like, yeah, you know, feet up with a magazine, you know, and I love traditional sub, you know, and I was like, hey, but I, I, that picture, I promise you that that took me back to, you know, some of my years, you know, going up K through 12 and, you know, actually seeing substitutes do something like that. But that was that was very interesting, though. Now, let me ask you something. Do you still remember what particular subject or that lesson what was it that you helped that that student with? It was just a an equation with variables on both sides. Ah, uh, there you so go. So I, I remember showing them, yeah, you can do it this way, but you can also do it this way as long as you stick to the laws of algebra. And they were like, oh, you know, because so many math teachers have like step one, step two, step three, step four. And you learn in math as you get older and and get some training. That it's all about inquiry and open open-ended discussion that's what yes. that's what really makes it interesting for kids yes um, so and i kind of you know that happened to me Luck, luckily it was kind of innate you know um because that, that's probably how i was taught this was before i had any interest in teaching math at all i only taught math because i had the most college credits you know <laughs> i came out came out of criminology major but I started as an engineering major and I was like, ah, this is just not for me, but I had some math courses. So I was able to, man, I took online classes at university of Phoenix while I was working at a, a dead end day job just to get my certificate of eligibility. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's been a long road for me, a lot of schooling, but I don't regret any of it. I learned, I learned from every little experience. Oh, and that's great. And you know what? You know, that's the best experience. That's the that to me, you know, speaks volumes because I myself, very much the way you described yourself is, you know, I was like, nah, you know, I'm gonna make money. I want to go to business school. And then the only reason I fell into teaching, I was a started off as a math teacher, just like yourself, was because they told me it's like, oh, 
you have enough credits to do math. So you're going to be a math teacher. I was like, okay. So they just tossed me in there. And back in the day with transparencies, they're like, here are your two binders, volume one, volume two. And there you go. Get started. I was like, wow. Okay. And no teaching experience. But like you said, you know, and I tell people, I never wanted to be a teacher, but sometimes, you know, things work out and then I just fell in love with the process and everything. So a very similar story to what you're sharing. So that's great. Uh, before we continue, I just want to give a big shout out here to Mel, who's joining us from Colombia. She says hi to you. Uh, also, Chris Nessie, he said here, you know, Jersey Shore checking in. What's All happening? Right. Chris? <laughs> and of Thank course, Josh Tovar. Josh Tovar here, who's always a staple here on Saturday mornings. Thank you so much, Josh, for joining us. We are all born and came into this world with a purpose. That's awesome, very Josh. true. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So thank you guys for joining us and for all of you joining us live. And big shout out to Sue also, who's got soccer mom duty. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, Sue. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so I'm I'm glad to hear, you know, like you said, that story and just the work that you've, you know, put in. and. So, you know, just it's so nice and refreshing to hear you be very transparent in saying, hey, you know what? I didn't quite have it figured out before I went into teaching. I didn't quite have it figured out, you know, and maybe even up until this point. But as far as, you know, here we're doing the schooling, we're doing everything. And now you're doing, um, you know, a lot of trainings. You're doing a lot of consulting and all of that because of the experience that you've had and the background that you have. So, you know, for anybody that's listening out there that maybe might be subbing right now just to kind of get their feet wet, maybe right now they're first year, second year teachers, it's okay that you haven't figured it out yet. Just be consistent, ask for help, and use your prior knowledge, prior experiences, and and go for it, you know? So, Again, I didn't have it figured out. You hear Derek didn't have it figured out, but there's a purpose, you know, for all of us. So um, so tell us a little bit more. You know, I just want to know a little bit more about now your career. You know, you said you did the schooling, you math teacher as well, and then you you uh, proceeded to get your master's in mathematics. Is that correct? Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you just on what you just said. I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. So. <laughs> Still figuring it out. <laughs> you hey. wake up every day, and if you can put passion into your work, you just give it all you got, and then you know the road leads you a certain way. I didn't plan on becoming a consultant. It happened because I did things with passion, and I ended up doing some speaking engagements, and I met some folks, and uh, Rich Kiker being the main one, and uh, <clears throat> you know it happens that way. But um, so. I mean, you gotta have you're gonna have to remind me of the question because I just went off. <laughs> hey, it's all good, my friend. I just love, like you said, you know, you talked about the power of connection there, things that that open up and opportunities that come about. So, you know, it was just one of those things that um, like I said, it's very important. And I love that you you mentioned this too. Maybe we can go into this just a little bit more, but I had talked about how you went ahead and then now you proceeded to get your master's in mathematics and then just continue down that trajectory. You know, what was it about mathematics? Was it again, just because it's like, Hey, I have enough credits for math and, and I'm just going to do it. Or was it something that you're like, Hey, you know what, if I'm going to be doing this, I, I better know what it is that I'm doing. Or was it something that you were passionate about? So yeah, now I remember your question. Sorry. Um, <laughs> 
it's basically, uh, you know, at the time when I was looking for work, I, I met the assistant superintendent of, of the district I was going to work in in Long Branch, Mike Salvatore, who was one of my mentors. Uh, my turned out 10 years later being my my teacher at Monmouth in the doctoral program. But um, I, I was lifeguarding on the beach. I'm wearing board shorts. I'm shirtless. I'm barefoot. And uh, I was looking for a job in math ed. I was taking my online classes and he, uh, you know, they needed math teachers. Math, there's a need for them. So <laughs> it was timing and uh, coincidence more than anything. And, um, you know, fast forward five years later, they're like, hey, there's this opportunity to um, to go to Rutgers over the summer, get some training in math education. It was a paid opportunity. It was called the the New Jersey Partnership for Education in Middle School Mathematics. Long acronym, NJPEMSM, P-E-M-S-M, something like that. Regardless, um, they wanted to pay math teachers to come get it, uh, you know, a, a more formal education, but it was more of a cohort PLN type of deal. And it was going to be really innovative and forward thinking. I'm like, wow, a summer job. Okay, cool. I'll do it. And I went, did that for a summer. And then after that, they were like, well, if you, if you put in another year, you get your master's. I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, it just kind of roll, things just roll out and you just take it one day at a time. And then next thing you know, uh, you know, I wasn't, I didn't wake up in the morning as an, as an undergrad and go, I'm going to do math education. But next thing you know, I got a master's in math ed. I learned so much from it. Um, and, uh, and, you know, thankfully I, I was able to take that and build upon it and pivot into ed tech a little bit. Not that I, wouldn't have stayed in math forever. I could totally see myself doing that for the rest of my life if, if, if that's the way the cards fall. But it's hard work. And not that ed tech isn't. It's a different type of hard work. It's just more open-ended. I like being in a position like in coaching where every day is different. You know, I, I, I like challenge and change and um, work that that's just open-ended and, and has uh, you know, different types of problems to solve in the math classroom, things get a little repetitive. Yeah. And for me, I, you know, I just had a desire to change this, the scenery and the landscape a little bit. So here we yeah. are. <laughs> yeah, no, and I completely agree with you. You know, it's just one of those, it's like, sometimes it's like you put in that time in the classroom and you just need to see something very different. And like, for example, like you, you and I might see things a little bit different and we're always looking to problem solve. And we want, we're just, we want, like, we like those challenges. We like to see, okay, what can we do? And the world of ed tech, obviously there's always not, it's all similar to math. There's more than one way to do something you know there's so many apps that are out there so many companies that are doing very similar things and well which one would be the best and so on and you know let me ask you something now from ed, ed tech guy to ed tech guy my philosophy has always been keep it simple you know just standardize you know on three four maybe five apps at the most and work from there and uh, and the reason I always say that is because it's it's so much overload. Number one, on the teacher to have to learn a new platform. Number two, the student 
has to learn a new platform. And oftentimes I find that uh, teachers really don't dive in completely into all the possibilities and uh, opportunities that those applications may have. Then, you know, because of social media, it's like, oh, I just saw this and it and it has this one little extra thing that really it's not so much connected to the learning, but it's more of a, like a graphic or something like that. So I've always been one of those, like, let's just keep it simple. Let's not overwhelm ourselves. But what are your thoughts on that? You know, is it kind of like, you know, cause I know I've, I've seen ed tech coaches that are like, Hey, look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this, share this. And I'm like, Whoa, that's, that's a lot. Like, let's slow it down. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So typically I, that's a good question. I tell, I try to preach that, you know, Technology in a classroom should do two things. It should, number one, help your students learn. And number two, make your life easier. And if it's not going to do those two things for you, then don't bother. Don't even look at it. That being said, for most of this stuff, there is a bit of a learning curve, obviously, in the beginning. So the other quote I like to steal, or it might sound cliche, but Abraham Lincoln said, if I had six hours to chop down a tree, I'd spend the first four sharpening the ax. So to me, that's about like preparation and, and the, the, the work behind the scenes, right? For example, if, if, if it takes you two hours to give a math test in a traditional way, you give paper, pencil, maybe you make photocopies for 10 minutes and then you spend an hour and 50 minutes grading it. How about Put the hour and 50 minutes in on the front end, learning a new way to give a creative assessment with technology, maybe. And then the 10 minutes just analyzing the data that is done for you. Same amount of time. So not that we have to convince teachers to, to use these things all the time. Like our job sometimes is to convince folks to, to be more innovative, but... If you look at it from that perspective, it seems like a pretty logical move for most. Yeah, no, and I agree with you. Like I said, I think when I first started using technology, when I was a sixth grade teacher, it was, yeah, the learning curve was there, but the return on investment was great because like you said, maybe at first, because I didn't know, it would take me a little longer to create a Google form or create some sort of assessment. But man, after that, the time that I got back, and, and that's one thing that I tell teachers too as well, you know, it's important that you understand the return on investment because sometimes, you know, we're so hyper-focused and dialed in already on the work that we need to do, the standards we need to meet, the data that we need to get, that just adding one more thing seems like, oh, what else now? But, you know, that's the uh, angle that I always, you know, approach it just very much like yourself. It's the return on investment because it's like, well, let's say with this platform, what you've created this year, it's going to be there next year and you don't even have to do it again. You just either tweak it, maybe add or subtract questions, whatever it is that you're working on, but you're getting back that time. And I always tell teachers, if I can get you back with at least five to 10 minutes at the end of your day where you can just breathe or go to the bathroom, you know, then that's huge. That is a huge thing, you know? So, I, but yeah, my thing has always been like, just keep it simple, keep it simple. Don't add too much. And because again, you know, and I get it. 
it, there's a lot of excitement around a lot of apps. There's a lot of hype. And of course, I mean, you and I are very familiar with that being on social media. Everybody's putting out things and everybody's putting out experiences. But you, we need as as edtech leaders, we also need to curate that and see what fits our teachers best and what fits our district best and not just, hey, let's pile it on and buy this and buy this and buy this and buy this because then it, it gets uh, it gets very, very jumbled up. So yeah, a couple of things there. Excellent. All right. So my friend, talk to me about then, you know, you got your master's in mathematics and then all of a sudden now it's like, hey, what 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 sparked you or, or motivated you to say, hey, you know what, might as well if I'm here, let me go to that extra step. So what the way that you're describing things, it's like it's been opportunity and opportunity or you've met somebody that pushes you to go on to this next thing. Tell me for your doctorate, was it something similar to that or was that something just out of your own say, hey, you know what, I'm going to pursue this? Or did you just bump into somebody and just say, hey, all right, let's do it? <laughs> Good question. You know, for me, uh, I just love being a student. I like to learn, number one. Number two, there's a really wonderful university two minutes down the road from where I live, which is, a you know, I just love being on a college campus too. It's just a fun place for me. But also, I, I, I did that degree because I wanted to prove to myself that I could, you know, reach the top of the mountain, if you will. Like, it was personal. I don't give a crap if anybody ever calls me doctor or if it ever, I don't, you know, I don't expect to make $500,000 as a thought leader or whatever. I just wanted to, to challenge myself and take, take my abilities as far as I could. Um, so that, that's what it was. And it's, if all the other stuff comes with it, awesome. <laughs> but if not, at least I know that I, I, I went as far as I could, you know, and I'm obviously not done. I think I'm in a lot of ways just getting started, but at least academically, you know, I made it to the finish line and it's, it's, it was, you know, you're in it right now, Fonz, you know how hard it is. Yeah. The best advice I ever got um, from one of my professors was at the end of the day, it's about grit, you know, and discipline um, because anyone with, with a, with a brain can put out good ideas and, and learn. That's, that's just one part of it. It's putting in the, the work to get, to get that degree and to, to get on that, um, you know, to, to get that handshake at the graduate graduation ceremony, which almost didn't happen <laughs> because of COVID, but they made it happen for us. And, uh, you know, just an overall good experience. And if, if that's all I get out of it, the, the friendships and the cohort that I was in and the, uh, I feel like this has become a little promotional video for the for the degree program that I was in. But it really was that fulfilling, and um, you know, it totally made me better. If anything, I just have like more confidence, just having an opinion. You know, um, not that I not that my thoughts all changed all that much. They didn't. I just, I know, yeah, did I learn a lot? Of course, but. Now I, I I feel like I can chime in on things where I, I might have been silent in the past, and it's helped me learn a lot. Mm -hmm. No, you know what? You hit on some on some great great points there. You know, very similar to you. I mean, geez, it seems like you and I were cut from the same board or something because it, the same thing. You know, my my passion is just continued learning, 
And, you know, I joke around with some of my friends uh, and I'm pretty sure you've run, you know, through them on the social media and on some of the presentations you get. But, uh, you know, a uh, big shout out to Bonnie Chalette and Frederick Ballou. We call ourselves, we're, we're uh, all the part of the expensive paper club. And it's because we just continue our education. I think uh, Frederick has two masters and then Bonnie's working also on her doctorate and I'm working on my doctorate. And we're just one of those that we just continue doing those things. But one of the things is that you mentioned, you know, coming into my position and just openly transparent coming into my position, I didn't have a master's and because it wasn't required at the time. But one of the things I noticed was I felt because everybody around me had a master's degree, you know, leadership, you know, they're all of them, all of them had masters in leadership and things. And, and it was me, I was kind of like the outsider. And I just kind of felt like, mm, you know, just, I was just seen as the ed tech guy. And I was like, oh, he's just the computer guy. And so for me, when they asked me, he's like, where do you see yourself in five years? I said, you know what, I'm going to get my master's within five years. And sure enough, I got my master's within five years. And then after that, kept going to equip myself with not a, every, not only anything that I had to do with that tech, but even just curriculum and instruction and, and, and studying, researching and things of that sort, because I wanted to put, be able to put my elbows up on that table and feel like, you know, I had something to offer. And so it's been, you know, an interesting road, but, you know, I think what you, like what you said, just to be able to have an opinion and be able to share it and, you know, help people through it and, or help people through maybe something that they're going through with our thoughts and our experiences and so on, it really does help a lot. So, you know, I, I'm with you on that, you know, you just continue to grow and the growing doesn't stop here. And I know that you yourself are definitely continuing to grow. And I, myself, even after that, I, I told my wife the other day, she's like, Hey, you're going to finish in two years. Right. And I was like, yeah. But I said, I'm already thinking about what I'm going to do next. Maybe I'll do a, like another doctorate or something like that in, in something else, because, you know, I, I just can't find myself not learning you know, and just being very complacent and things of that sort. So uh, very interesting stuff. But let's kind of switch the conversation around a little bit on innovation and leadership. So Derek, talk to me a little bit about this. You know, I know you doing consulting work and, you know, a lot of it, you, you have a passion to equip, build up leaders and working with organizations. Uh, again, I where does that come from? And maybe just give us some of your thoughts on what you're seeing maybe now even uh, after pandemic as far as maybe engagements or experiences that you've had as far as innovation what are they asking more for innovation what kind of equipping now do leaders need to have so just you know share a little bit about what you're seeing in your experience as a innovation and leadership consultant sure so uh i, I gotta say you know my my degree is in educational leadership um, that doesn't make you a leader, you know, um, and having a supervisor or administrator title doesn't necessarily make you a leader either. Although obviously on paper, you know, you are, I think anybody in, in, in the building can be a leader down to, you know, obviously teachers, um, the, the staff, the, the custodial crew, anybody who puts their, puts 
puts their daily passion and in, in work into serving others and, and puts others before themselves. Uh, eventually over time, people are going to come to, to want to see you succeed. And that's, that's in my opinion, where leadership comes from. So although, you know, I'm an ed- educational technology specialist, I do a lot of PD in my school. Um, it's not formally a leadership role, but I feel like one in, in my, in my school and in my district. And it's, and I work with some amazing folks who over time, I've just formed good relationships with people and, and they trust me and I'm very fortunate to be in that position. And I, walk in the building every day trying to prove that you know, I'm, I'm going to be able to help in some way. And I think uh, it's a selfless kind of thing that for a lot of folks, it's innate. You know, I think I've, I've seen it. I grew up with two, you know, parents who, who embodied it and you learn it. And I, I played a lot of team sports and my coaches modeled it and, it's something that it's, it's inside you, but, um, it can be learned as well. It's a, it's a selfless passion. Um, well, but it comes to how, how, how others, how you, how you help lift up others. Right. So one of the things I'm proud of in, in my school is, is I, I'm, I'm the advisor of a club called the SWAT team students working to advance technology. And it was part of my dissertation project, but I, I recruited students around the building who are tech savvy to be um, like mini tech specialists. And we hold a help desk after school once a week. And we put together a website with how-to videos. We work on special projects. But the first thing I did on the first day of the club, I told the students, listen, you're here because we need a student perspective when it comes to making technology work in the classroom. What do you see is working? What do you see is not working? What can we improve upon? How can we do it? together and man they put together some really great ideas and great projects and it was just like an open-ended kind of kind of genius hour club that evolved into this this thing called you know called the SWAT team and so for one of the first things we did for example was one of the students I remember he was like the teachers really don't they all use different programs they don't really know what we like and learn from the best you know shouldn't our students have a say in that? (laughs) Like this, like maybe they could say this program stinks. It doesn't help me. This one does. I love this one. Duh. Of course they should have a say in that, right? They're we're, we're there for them. (laughs) So I'm like, great idea. How can we fix it? They're like, let's make a survey and let's send it to all the kids and let's see what they think helps them learn the best. Okay. Next thing you know, we've got a collaborative Google form going we're brainstorming apps, right? They send it out. I, I push it out to all the students. We get like 85% response rate. We get the data. They take the data. They make an infographic. We push it out to teachers. The teachers are like, oh, I didn't know that. Okay, I'll, I'll use that more. I'll stop. And just those little things. Uh, first of all, the kids appreciated that. So lifting them up a little bit, giving them a voice. Felt, I felt like a leader at that, you know, in that um, and created little leaders, right? They're moving the needle themselves. So being a part of that whole thing and um, finding new innovative ways to like just make things a little bit better for everybody. 
that's what excites me. Oh man, I love that. Like, you know, everything that you described and especially the fact that you empowered and you're talking about that as a leader, you're there to help build, not just to tell people what to do, you know, because anybody can tell people what to do, but you're there to build them up, to strengthen them, bring out those qualities that maybe they themselves may not see. But what I love is that involvement with the students. And I had a, a guest recently, uh, Bo Neal, uh, you know, big shout out to Bo, but he mentioned, and one of the sound bites that I used is that students are probably better evaluators of teachers than we think. And the reason is, is because they've seen so many teachers throughout their K through 12. They've seen different teaching styles. They've seen what works and what doesn't work. And I love the fact that your students took it upon themselves to say, hey, let's do a survey. And they started surveying everybody. And they're the ones that can say, hey, this is what's working for me. This isn't, this isn't quite working for me. And I could just only imagine just the responses and the look on the teacher's eyes when they see that that data and say, oh, so maybe on certain things they're like, oh, so I don't have to do any of this extra stuff. Like I can just stick to this and they're okay with this and helps them and communicate that throughout the campus. That's that's amazing. That's amazing. And the the innovative how innovative that was is great. And many people may not may see that like, ah, you know, no, it's a Google form. What no, it's it's everything that goes beyond that, the thought process, the the creation and the kids being so involved and then you yourself, you know, pouring yourself into them. That to me is a really great description of what a leader does. So man, that is great. I bet that that's an experience that those students have not forgotten. And that'll be something that's that they're going to always remember. And yeah, so will the rest of the school, because maybe based on those decisions, a lot of stuff was done. So that's great, man. Yeah, that's the hope, Fonz. And like, truth be told, it's, it's a little bit of an equity issue if if the class you end up in dictates the experience you get. It's, and some teachers doing A and some teachers doing B. We want to make sure that our kids are getting a fair, equal opportunity. And so, yeah, there's some important science behind that too, but um, it doesn't take... A, a ton of overthinking to solve it, you know? Exactly. So now some of like your, your experience now, <clears throat> so let's go, we talked about that classroom experience and then now as your consulting experience and, you know, sharing innovative ideas and leadership, you know, is what is it that you're seeing now? Like that people like as us as adults or teachers, whomever it is that you may be in front of, what are some of the things that you're seeing that, we're asking for help in like what ideas, what can we do? What, what are some things that you're seeing right now? Well, you know, I've been very fortunate to speak with a lot of folks. I don't know. I guess some people like give a crap at, at least about what I, what I think, which is, I appreciate <laughs> you included. So thank you. <laughs> but um, right now, you know, you know how it is. Um, most folks, I, I mean, I appreciate you even taking the time to do this with me because it's a hard time. At least in New Jersey, there's a lot of talk about uh, recovering from learning loss from the pandemic to fill the gaps from last year. A lot of teachers are saying just in casual conversation and it's shown in the data that students are very far behind and they're like, they, it's almost like some of them missed a year, you know? So 
with, with being an educational technology coach and consultant, it's just taking a gentle approach and just being there as support and trying to help solve this problem of getting students caught up without overwhelming teachers and administrators because it's a lot of folks are overwhelmed and I, I feel it too. So I'm just very careful with my approach right now. Try to be as supportive as possible. Try to remind people that this is temporary and we're going to look, you know, we're going to recover from this one way or another. Students are more resilient than we think. And just because they missed some content last year doesn't mean their lives are ruined. And if you can't get them caught up, it doesn't mean you're a bad teacher. You don't have to reinvent everything. It's probably a good idea to try and 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 do a couple, take a different approach than in the past because we've got a different, uh, you know, our clients have a different set of skills than, than they typically do, if you want to think of it like that. Mm-hmm. So we have to, we have to try, but not at the expense of your mental health and wellness. I'm big on like the self-help aspect. I try to make sure when I walk in the building in the morning that my workout's done, I try to get a, I get one in at 6 a.m. and that I have a, a decently nutritional lunch and snacks and water and all that stuff, like those things, do all that stuff, focus on that and, and get in there and do your best. And if it, you know, if it doesn't fix every problem at the end of the day, that's okay. <laughs> you just keep trying to move the needle just a little bit. Yeah. That, that's well, kind of where I'm at right now. Oh, but you know what? It, it does make perfect sense because I see it and I think everybody's seen it. And I think it's just having that open ear and your willingness to listen and have compassion. And sometimes just educators, they just want to be heard they want to be acknowledged. They want to, you know, they want you to know like, hey, look, I'm trying my best and and they just want to feel validated. You know, I recently wrote a blog called, uh, you know, Administrators, Do You Know Your Teacher's Love Language? And I think that that's so important that we all know each other very well. And especially if you're an administrator in whatever role, all the way from the top to the bottom, or even as a teacher to student, you know, understanding how students function. Is it words of affirmation, that acknowledgement? And like you said, those things can move a needle in a a huge way. But it was something that was small that a lot of people think like, oh, like there's no way. I was like, if you just are consistent with those daily affirmations, you're consistent with that fist bump and consistent with just, you know, the way that you know your students learn and personalizing that can definitely go a long way, but it works for everybody, administrators to teachers, teachers to students, and even central office to teachers and so on. I mean, it, it works for all of us. So I really appreciate you being honest as far as what you're seeing, because I mean, we we can't hide it. I mean, it's everywhere. It's on social media. Everybody, you know, teachers on TikTok are just really expressing themselves, you know, Facebook, uh, Twitter, everything. And and we're just open ears to listen and, and try and offer our support at this point. So yeah, that that's definitely something that we're seeing right now. And like you said, uh, even just in, in our roles, you know, I, I, I try and lay off of pushing bunch of tech it's because it's like you know I, i'm going to show you what it is that you'll need 
just to help you with your workflow, but I'm not going to put so much on you because I know what you're going through. I, I've been there in the in the classroom, not in, through a pandemic year, but I know what the classroom can be like for sure. So Derek, let's go ahead and talk a little bit more as we're kind of slowly winding down the show. But right now, what is uh, the biggest challenge that you're facing right now? You know, as far as in education, what it, what is it that you're seeing through your role? Yeah, good question. I think it's kind of to reiterate what I just said. Mm-hmm. It's being a being an educational technology specialist in a for a tech exhausted group of Ooh. people, <laughs> um, and I don't blame them, right? Um, so finding that gentle approach and thinking long-term, um, you know, where do we want to be? Because the facts are still the facts. We we're preparing students for jobs that don't yet exist. And if we're not teaching them technical skills, they're, they're falling behind. So planning for that, um, and gently easing my work into the work day without forcing and being approachable. And, and you said, Fonz, this job, no matter where you, where you sit in the building, it's about relationships from teacher to student, from administrator to teacher and up and down. Right. So that number one comes first. If you don't have a good rapport with your students, they're never going to buy into your lesson, whether it has the most innovative ed tech or not. So first and foremost, that's what we all need to focus on. It's just, and it can be so simple. You see a kid having a bad day, pull them into the hallway, you know, Hey, Hey buddy, is everything okay? What's going on? You having a bad day? Go ahead, go get a drink of water, go take a lap around the building. When you come back, you know, hopefully you'll feel better though. Like those little, those little conversations and even from teacher to, you know, sometimes the teachers frazzle around, like, listen, you need, you need to go take a walk. I'll cover your class. I can, I can do this. You know, <laughs> I've done that a couple of times. Um, those things matter tremendously. And, and I can recall, you know, administrators doing that stuff for me, just knowing my, a little bit about my personal life, asking me, you know, about my favorite sports team, those little conversations are, are so important and we get so busy and immersed in our work sometimes we forget to do that like just the other day you know i I heard a student having a meltdown outside of my office because he dropped his chromebook and it broke and it was like a second broken chromebook and he's gonna have to pay the fee and his parents are not going to be happy with him obviously so i sit him down in my office i'm not just a tech specialist i want to I'm there to help kids. That's why I got into this profession. So calm them down. We have a talk. That kid's been visiting me like once a week just to say hi. I think he's going to end up doing some yard work for me and I'm going to pay him so he can pay pay the Chromebook fee. It's kind of where we are right now. My life's so busy. You know, after this, I'm running to the kids' soccer games. So um, yeah, it's a win-win for everybody. So just trying to stay connected to the kids and um, stay close to the classroom and the meaning, the most meaningful work as possible um, is, is been what's working for me. And there's, when you do that, you, you, you learn 
what people are really going through and it's a there's a lot of stress right now yeah there is i agree with you but i love what you said you know teaching tech to a tech exhausted group can be very very difficult i, I think i'm going to definitely use that soundbite for sure because that, that's a little golden nugget right there that'll be coming out you know as we continue to promote the show all right. So now let's kind of just uh, as we're winding down now, like let's have a lighten up the conversation. But again, Derek, I just want to say thank you just for being so transparent and just being so open and honest about what it is that you're seeing, you know, and not sugarcoating anything, because this is the the reality that we live in currently right now. But like you said, one of the things that you 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 said that really resonates with me is just be consistent, even with the little things. The little things will help move that needle forward. And, and that's what we need to remember. It, it doesn't have to be something major, just the little things. Relationships, 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 for sure, number one. And then after that, you know, everything else will fall into place. So, Derek, let me ask you something. Now, for yourself, in everything that you do and everything that you're involved in, what are some ways that you just kind of get out of your head, you know, just, Hey, you know, it's my downtime. What are some things that you like to do just for fun to, to just de-stress and not work or anything? I try to, uh, I think I'm big on like the mind body connection fonts. Like if I don't get a workout in for a couple of days, I don't feel right. So I try to exercise. That's my stress relief. Uh, I'm, I'm big into surfing. I try to get out in the water as much as I can. Anytime there's a wave, you know, I'm two miles to the beach here. So I have that special privilege. Um, and it's the water gets cold, but I got all the different wetsuits. So that, that to me is, is a nice reminder that, you know, I'm, I'm very small in the universe and my problems are not that, that big of a deal. There's something about the ocean that does that for a lot of people. But um, that and and I, I'm a guitar player. Actually, I was, uh, you know, something a lot of folks might not know about me. I've been I was in a a pretty good band for close to a decade. We were we made a record. We toured to the West Coast, and uh, I live right near Asbury Park, where the Stone Pony is. And we were the for one summer we were the house band at the Stone Pony, and we played like six or seven shows there we opened for like international acts um so I'm, I, I love i'm big into music and all those silly hobbies that let me escape from the day and um you know make me uh forget my struggles for a moment or two <laughs> that's, that's, that's how i operate i guess there's a guitar in every room of the house <laughs> now i'm curious what is the name of the band if so we're called Garden State Line. Nice. So we had babies and families, but we, you know, we're still best friends. We spent a lot of time together. So, wow, that is awesome. That's great. You know, I love that. I mean, myself, you know, I played in a couple of bands for a couple of years too, as right. well. So that's great. And it is a great stress reliever and everything. Yeah. So that, that's awesome. That's wonderful. Well, I want to give a shout out real quick before our next question to Professor Carlos Espinosa, who's joining us all the way from Guayaquil. So, muchas gracias, profesor, por estar aquí con nosotros. Le agradezco su asistencia y espero conectar pronto con ustedes. 
So yeah, big shout out. So that's awesome. I hadn't uh, seen him or communicated with him in a while, but uh, it's great that look oh, at that. Awesome. You know, we've got yeah. you know Latin America here today on the show. All right, Derek. So one question, uh, well, another question here. We'll do two more and a uh, little lighthearted questions. But if you can have one billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? One billboard with anything on it, man. Um, it might be, it just doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> and that's, I think, uh, I try, I find myself reminding me of that when I'm, when I get caught up in, in my day and things are bothering me. Um, I like to let things, you know, try to let those things roll off. Um, as long as the important stuff is there my family, my health. Um, then the work stress, we have to learn to live with it. It's not going away. <laughs> so try not to take those things too seriously. There you go. I think that's a good one. I think oftentimes it's like, you know, do what you can today, kind of similar and, you know, just start again the next day, you know, take care of yeah. what you can the following day. I mean, you know, it's just those things. So, yeah. But again, family, definitely very important. And of course you and Sue and the kids and everything, you know, that definitely keeps you guys busy and, you know, help you prioritize, you know, what is really important, which is definitely family. And I honestly, I just wanted to make mention that I do love your social media presence, like both Sue and yourself and, you know, and being able to connect with you through social media. And, you know, she, she'll post some pictures of you and your, you know, the kiddos and everything. And that's always great to see. So I definitely um, wonderful to see how really that, priority you know family so that's great all right derek so let's do our last question and i know we were going to do a different one but this is one that i i'm kind of curious too it's like if you and i were to switch roles and you're interviewing me what would be one question you'd like to ask me hmm um well you mentioned you're in a band too, you you play music as well. Yeah, I played music. I, yeah. So I think it's so important to find those passions, right? So, like I said, so when you walk in the building in the morning, you're already fulfilled, and you're you have your cup is full, and you have a patience for everyone else. So that so I would be curious to hear about more about what you do to take care of yourself and and fill your cup. And uh, make sure that when you walk in the building in the morning, you're you're the best that you can be because I want to take some of the things, you know, take as much as I can from everyone and yeah. add it to my routine. So what do you got? Yeah, well, that's a great question. Nobody's ever asked that. So that's wonderful. Um, usually it's like for me just to get in the right mode and just get ready for the day is honestly, I am, I am a man of faith. Um, so both my wife and I, you know, we get up 4.30 in the morning and, and we get up and we pray and we get ready for our day. So once we're done with that, I do my walk every morning and, you know, just have my cup of coffee and just get in for the day with that mentality and just always listening to just uh, a lot of, uh, well, I'll listen to podcasts and everything just to kind of learn as I go to work and just kind of gets me in just ready for that work mode. But 
honestly, it's just that support from my wife every morning. And then we just both get up and we just faithfully pray every day, every morning at 430. And we just thank God for our blessings. And we just go about our day. And, you know, the same thing at night, you know, give, giving thanks for that day, no matter how hard it was, how hard it could be, because sometimes, you know, you do have those days. But we're just thankful for what we do have and the opportunities that did come out, even though there might have been a negative situation. So it's just definitely been my faith. That's definitely is the one that keeps me ready to go and and ready at all times. And like it says, there's there's a, a verse there that says, always be ready in season and out of season. And that's the way that I'm ready. <laughs> it, it helps me improvise, adapt and overcome. And I just got to thank God for that, for sure. I love it, man. It sounds like, uh, reminds me, gratitude. Yeah, gratitude. gratitude is huge. It is huge, my friend. It's gratitude, huge. Attitude. gratitude attitude is how you should wake up every day. Yep. Well, Derek, man, it's just been great just listening to you. And again, being openly transparent, being able to learn more about you and not only just about you, but of the work that you do, the way that you are, the way that you are able to build relationships, the 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 caring heart that you have. And so I thank you so much for being here and making time because I know you're busy. I know Sue right now, she's she's pulling soccer mom duty right now. And I know you're going to head off over there to go catch the kids also play and everything and get uh, get back together as a family unit and enjoy the rest of your day. But thank you so much. I really appreciate you. Hey, thank you for having me. I, I, this is my first ever podcast, so I oh. really enjoyed it. And I you know I said this to you earlier privately, but... I really commend you for doing this because clearly it's not your day job. You're doing it for passion and to help. And it does help. It, it's, it's one of those things just to hear other folks perspective, even if one person gets one little takeaway from this conversation that helps someone else somewhere, you know, again, it's those little things that move the needle just a little bit. So props to you, man. Thank you for having me. I awesome. give you a lot of credit. Thank you. I appreciate you. I really appreciate that feedback because it really means a lot. Like you said, this is my passion project and I just love connecting and hearing educator stories because like you said, that helps me learn from them. Like you said, you know, find that little knowledge gem and you just add it to your practice, sprinkle it to what you already do great and then just take it to that next level. So thank you, Derek. And to all our audience members, thank you, Josh, for being here in the chat. Thank you, Luis Pertuz, Professor Carlos, Mel, Chris Nessie. Thank you for checking in as well. Josh Tovar, everybody and everybody that will be watching this later on or uh, listening to it. Thank you so much again for making my tech life part of your day. And again, as always, we're hoping that you catch those knowledge gems, uh, you know, for yourself too, as well. And if you can, please make sure that you visit our website, myedtech.life, where you can go ahead and catch all our episodes. And please drop us a review, drop us a line, send us a message, let us know what it is you'd like we're doing. Is there anything we'd, you'd like for us to change? I definitely appreciate any and all feedback because as always, I want to make sure I'm giving you the best of me every single Saturday. So thank you so much. And just one quick announcement. There won't be a show next Saturday. It will be my dad's 85th birthday. So we're going to be celebrating big. So we will not have a live show next Saturday. But again, we'll be back in November. We've got some great shows lined up. But thank you, everybody. I appreciate you guys being here this morning. And as always, my friends, don't forget, stay techie.